going to jump into the message. You guys ready for the word today? Amen. Well, we are going to be continuing in the book of Mark. Uh, Pastor Ron, he's been going through the book of Mark this year. Uh, it's been really good. We've had some very good messages. And uh, just this past Sunday, he began in Mark 14. So I thought I'd continue there. And so uh, you guys can meet me uh, in Mark 14. And uh, this past Sunday, Pastor Ron was speaking um, in the beginning of Mark 14, uh, a young woman who came and took um, a, a, a glass of, of this perfume, this fragrance that was worth so much, most likely most of what would equal out to someone's life savings. And she took it and she bursted it, she busted it, and she lavished it on Jesus. And uh, it was a really good message. It was, um, I believe it was entitled Invisible Inspiration. So if, if you did not get to see it, uh, you can go to YouTube, GTCOTR, and you can look for that. It's a really good message. But what happened in, 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 in the beginning of, beginning of Mark 14, this chapter is a very peculiar ch uh, chapter because it is the, the string of events that begin to happen are leading and pointing to the cross. These are hours before Jesus would be arrested in the garden. And so Mark 14 in the beginning, whenever he is, um, whenever he's anointed, uh, it's, it's, it's prophetically pointing to his, his, his death and burial that was, come, that, that was to come. And then after that, what happened is they, they began to head to uh, the upper room that, uh, that one of his disciples, he sent some disciples to have it prepared where he would then lead the disciples in the very first communion. He instituted the Lord's Supper. And, and, and at that time, he also released Judas to go and do what he was going to do. And so uh, here you see uh, uh, Jesus with his disciples and they're doing this communion. And it's a special thing because he knows that what is about to come next. And then after that, uh, what's very interesting, they leave uh, the upper room, they leave that building and they're heading for the Mount of Olives. But on the way to the Mount of Olives, they have to go through this ravine that's called uh, that's called uh, the Kidron Valley. And I know I sound like I've been there, but I haven't been to Israel. Uh, in this ravine, the Kidron Valley, it's very interesting. They would have had to cross it. But what's interesting about it is that this was the time of Passover. And the time of Passover is, you know, it's the time that they remember when Jesus, I'm sorry, remember when God brought them out of Egypt. And during that time, they would, there would be a lot of sacrifices happening at this time. And what would happen is that when they do it, whenever they perform these sacrifices on the mountain, the blood would begin to run down into this Kidron Valley. And so as Jesus is walking across, you can imagine what is going through his mind because as he's walking through, he's, he's crossing over the blood of, 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 of bulls and goats and lambs, knowing that he was going to be the lamb, the last lamb that would be slain, that he would die once and for all and ultimately satisfy God and that he would, that he would that eventually pay for the wrath of sin. And so it's a beautiful thing that he's crossing over. He goes into the Mount of Olives. He's encouraging his disciples. You know, he taught, you know, you know, lets them know, hey, listen, I'm going to leave soon, but I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. And he encourages them. And then eventually what happens after the Mount of Olives, they head for the Garden of Gethsemane. And Gethsemane, excuse me. And that is where we're going to pick up. So we're going to be in verse 32. 
verse 32 in Mark chapter 14. So here we go. And it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Verse 34, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. He's saying that he's so overwhelmed with sorrow that he feels like he's going to die. That's the amount of pressure that's on him at this moment. Remain here and watch. Verse 35, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed. And uh, uh, um, another version, uh, I'm sorry, uh, another gospel says that he fell on his face and he prayed that if it was possible that this hour would pass from him. Verse 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and saying the same words, he, be, he again he, and again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know how to answer him. Verse 41, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hours has come. Uh, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rinse, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Very interesting things that are taking place. This is the moment. Jesus, he goes to the garden to pray and he begins to pray because he knows what is about to come. You know, Jesus, he is hours away from being arrested. And the moment is setting in on him. The weight of everything that's about to happen is beginning to take its toll on Jesus. And he knows what is coming down the road. And Jesus was under great distress and agony. In fact, Luke records, says that he was under so much pressure that he was sweating blood. He was literally sweating blood. And I know that sounds like something that you just see in the Bible, but doctors do confirm that that is an actual condition, that you can be under so much stress that your, that your, your, your veins begin to pop. Your blood, I'm sorry, your blood vessels begin to pop and your blood mixes in with the sweat. And so uh, he's under a lot of stress at this moment. And Jesus knew what was about to happen. He was taking on a lot of weight at this moment, all of our sin. He was about to take on the weight of all of our sin, of all of humanity, all on himself, all alone. Because only Jesus could do this. He was the only one. And if there was ever a moment that we see Jesus' humanity, I believe that there is not a greater moment than this time right here. His, he is literally under the weight of what he is about to bear. You see, Jesus, being a man, being a human, was feeling the weight and agony of what was to come. You see, Jesus was 100% God, but he's also 100% man. He is God, but he's also man. 
This is called the incarnation of Christ, that God literally came down and clothed himself in human, in, in human flesh. Now, I don't understand how that whole thing works out. I don't understand how God literally, how he can be both God and man, but he is. So we know that Jesus has two natures, both God and man. And Jesus is complete in each nature. He is completely God and he's completely man. Each nature is distinct, meaning that he's not, it's not 50% man, 50% God, but he is fully God. And he did not change, but at the same time, he is fully man. What does that mean? It means that he understands what it's like to be a human. He was an actual human. And then on top of that, Christ was still only one person. Two natures in one man. And Jesus is not like God or someone who was close to God. Jesus is God himself. And he has all the attributes of God. Jesus is omniscient, meaning that he is all-knowing, omniscience, omniscience, meaning knowing, meaning knowledge, all-knowing. He knows all things. He has all knowledge. He is omnipresent, meaning that he can be at multiple places at multiple times, all in the same breath. He's omnipotent, meaning that he is all-powerful. He has all power in his hands. He's self-sufficient, meaning that he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anybody to fulfill anything within him. He is good within himself. He is the supreme ruler. He is creator. And on top of that, he is eternal, meaning that he, meaning that he has always existed. He ha- does not have a beginning, and he does not have an end. But specifically, he is the Son of God. Jesus is not the Father. He is not the Holy Spirit. He is within triune God, but he is the Son of God who became man. Now, understanding that he is God, he is also man. He's always been God. He, He never stopped being God, but he was not always a man. When he came to this earth, Then he took on human nature. That is the miracle of the incarnation, that he literally became a man without giving up his divine nature, without giving up who he is. It did not change. Um, I like what the way that one theologian put it. He said, remaining who he was, he became who he was not. It's good. Remaining who he was, he became who he was not. Jesus did not subtract from his divine nature. He added another nature. He added to it. Jesus became man just like you and me. But most importantly, even though he was a man, he remained sinless. You know, there are a lot of um, uh, teachings out there right now on TikTok and on YouTube that talks about Jesus and this progressive Christianity that, that Jesus was a man and that he sinned. That is, that is so false. It is so wrong. It is so left field, not even close. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was God and he was man. He took on human nature but he did not take on a sinful nature. He just took on humanity. Though he was tempted, he never sinned. 
Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Now, understanding that God, as Jesus asked God, he knew what was coming down the road. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was about to be thrown into an unfair trial. He knew that he was going to be flogged and that he was going to be whipped with a cat of nine tails so much so that he would be unrecognizable as a human being. He knew that he was going to have to carry that cross and then be nailed with, with nails the size of railroad spikes stuck into his hands and stuck into his feet. He knew that he was going to have to get hung on a cross, that he was going to have to die. He knew what was going to happen. And because of that, in his human nature, what we see here is that Jesus was mortified. He was going to have to bear something that he could not fathom. You see, he was human. He was God, but he was human. And, and that, that's why we see that he is literally shaking and literally under this pressure because he realizes what is about to take place in front of him. And the fact was that even though he, if he, 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 he wanted something to change, even if he wanted it to be taken away, it wasn't going to happen because this was something that was decided in eternity's past that was going to happen. And so no matter what, he was going to have to go through this. So we can understand now more why Jesus asked God to take this moment from him. Mark 14 verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. This is Jesus and his humanity speaking. It's, he's realizing the weight of the moment. And yet in the midst of that, Jesus did not waver. He didn't change. He didn't shake. He did not walk away from this. He did not say, listen, I can't do this anymore. God, God, get me out of here. No, no, he didn't do that. He endured. He was under so much pressure. And yet he said, God, not my will, but your will be done. Because it wasn't about him. He had a different picture in mind. He had me in mind. He had you in mind. He had, he understood that all, that all humanity rested on his shoulders. So he took that big step and he said, not my will, but your will. You see, Jesus, when he went to the cross and when he, when, when the reason why he continued to still do this is because he did it for us. It's a powerful truth and a powerful lesson. So what is it that we can take away from this truth? What is it that we can take away from this passage? Well, I have three takeaways that I want to, that I think that we all can learn from this. So we can learn from what Jesus went through for us. Number one is that sin has major consequences. Sin has major consequences. Romans, Romans 3.23 says that the wages of sin is death. You see, it was our sin that weighed Jesus down and that caused him to go through so much stress and that eventually led him to the cross. He was doing it for us. He was doing it to take away our sin because sin has consequences. 
And according to God, sin in, in, the, in the judgment room of eternity, the wages of sin equals death. And somebody had to pay that price. And it was going to be Jesus. You see, we have to realize that our, we have to realize that, that the consequences of sin always impacts the people around us. And the impact of sin always goes further and deeper than we can ever imagine. I'm convinced that we can never, ever fully understand or begin to fathom the emotional stress that Jesus endured in that garden when he was awaiting to be arrested. Just the, just, just the, the, the thoughts, the, the, the emotions, the agony that he had because of sin. I can't imagine, we can't begin to imagine the physical pain that he suffered on the cross. For I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine what, it would, what, what he went through. And I could not imagine the spiritual agony that Jesus faced when God the Father poured out all of his wrath because of our sin onto his son Jesus. He laid it all out on him. And then because sin was on him, the Bible said that he had to turn away and he was left alone on the cross. Wow. You see, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You see, whenever it comes to sin, we have to get it rid of. We, we've got to get rid of it out of our lives. That whenever there's, whenever there's something that's lurking and we know that it's, that it's there, it's time for us to get rid of it and to throw it out. That we have to identify it, confess it, and then turn from it. And when we do that, we, we, we walk in his righteousness. I love the picture of Jesus taking on our sin in order that he would give us his righteousness. It's beautiful. And then number two, point number two is that God is good even when life is not. God is good even when life is not. Jesus was faced with an impossible course of events that were about to unfold. And although Jesus, in his humanity, did not want to endure the cross, he still did. He still went through it. It was something that he did not want to do in his humanity. It's something that was, too, that was overwhelming for him. It was something that he wanted to be taken away. He asked God multiple times, God, please take this from me but not my will, your will be done. Jesus trusted God's plan through hardship. You know, there are times that I'm sure that we all ask ourselves, why is it that I'm going through what I'm going through? Why is it me that has gotten this lot in life? Why, you, you know, I can't understand why it is that I'm going through what I'm going through. And that, honestly, we, we don't understand. We don't get it. But what we see in Jesus is, is that even though, even though he was faced with circumstances, he said, 
not my will, but your will be done. Even in the midst of trials, he knew that who he knew who his father was, and he knew that it did not change. He knew that it was for a greater purpose, and ultimately, he was saying, God, you are good. You see, we don't have the answers many times for what happens in life. But one thing that is true is that God, no matter what, God is still good. He does not change. He is still worthy of my praise. He is still worthy of all the honor and glory that no matter what happens, I can still give him the glory regardless of what happens. God is still worthy. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of of heavenly lights, with whom there is no change or shifting shadow. God does not change. All good things come from him. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, You are good and you do what is good. Teach me your statutes. God, you are good. He just is. It, it's just who he is. It's in his nature, and it will not change. Even when, although our circumstances may change in life, God does not. He does not change. He always remains the same. He always stays who he is. And like Jesus, we can trust God's plan even through hardship. And then last point I think we can take away from this, number three, is that Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. This is such a beautiful truth. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just the way we are, yet did not sin. Now, that last part is important. You see, Jesus was fully human, and, he, and because he's fully human and because he's fully God, he's in a unique position to know what it's like for us to be tempted, in, uh, for us to be tempted and to endure hardship. Though Jesus was tempted, he did not sin, which means that because he didn't sin, that he was tempted beyond any point that any of us could ever have been tempted. Because we've all given in to temptation, but Jesus never did, meaning that he was tempted way further than we ever could have imagined, and yet he still endured. And he endured hardship further than we ever would have had to endure. He went through things that we never could have went through, and yet he never sinned. And so because of that, he has a unique place that he's able to relate to us because as a human, he had been tempted. He did endure hardship. And because of that, he empathizes with us and he understands in a way that nobody else can. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I love that we don't serve a cold, distant, emotionless God that's up there in the sky that's saying, I hope you do good, because if not, it's all your fault. No, we have a God who literally emptied himself 
clothed himself in, human, in, in humanity and himself paid the price that we couldn't pay and so that we can take his righteousness and that we can be saved. Wow, what a, man, what a God. He understands in a way that nobody else can so we can trust and we can look to Christ in our time of need. Thank you, Jesus, that he endured the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, God, for the word of God. And Lord, I just pray that today, Father, God, as we look at you, Jesus, and what you did, what you endured, what you went through for us, not only as God, but specifically as human, Father God, what you endured for us, God, we want to say thank you. God, it puts into a greater perspective what you have done for us, Lord. And God, we are thankful, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us, Father God, Lord God, to abhor sin in our life, God. I pray, Father God, you would help us, Father God, to endure hardship. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would look to you, Father, in our time of need, God. I pray that you would meet every need and touch every life in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Amen.